Good morning. We have two readings from the Bible today. The first one will be from the book of Psalms, chapter 40, 1 to 8. And the second one will be from the book of Hebrew, 10, 1 to 18. The first reading, Psalms 40, 1 to 8. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, who does, who, who, who does go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O oh Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is written in my heart. We'll turn to Hebrew 10, 1 to 18, and I read. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would that not have ceased to be offered since the, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ 
has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sent down, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who have been satisfied. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. It's a great joy to be able to preach to people uh, in the flesh and also to preach uh, to those at home. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word this morning, hearts that love the Lord Jesus and a will that inclines to obey you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, the world says that no one is perfect, but most people are basically good. I think Christianity is both more realistic and more optimistic than the world. More realistic because the Christian faith says uh, people are basically sinful. That doesn't mean that uh, we can't do good things. We can and we do. But it means that naturally our hearts Inclined towards selfishness and sin. Human history and my own life every day uh, sadly confirms that that is realistic. But Christianity is also more optimistic than the world because God says to all who are trusting in Jesus Christ, one day you will be perfect. Perfect in your character and actions, perfect in your relationships and love, perfect deep down to your heart, perfectly the creature that God made you to be. If you trust in Jesus, one day you will be perfect. I wonder, do you think about that day very much? Lots of Christians don't, but I think we should, because that one day changes your today. Hebrews 10 is going to show us how. Do uh, have Hebrews 10 open in front of you here or at home if you can. As we uh, begin looking at this passage together, I want to point out something important. Uh, This little section of scripture uses the phrase God's law or the law in two similar but importantly different ways. So in verse 1, the law is used specifically with a specific meaning And that meaning is the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system that God set up. Think temple, priests, blood of animals, all of that stuff that Hebrews has been talking about so much uh, so far. But then later in the passage, uh, the author uses the law in a more broad sense to really mean all of God's commands, all the things that God commands. So think Ten Commandments and all the rest. Now, that 
uh, distinction in meaning of the law will be important as we go through, so keep it in mind if you can. Well then, the first thing our author wants us to see in Hebrews 10 is this. Jesus is where the law is pointing. Jesus is where the law is pointing. Verses 1 to 6. Have a look at verse 1 with me. For since the law, remember, here that means specifically the sacrificial system. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, that verse tells us, are a shadow, not the reality. They have to be repeated because they can offer no permanent cleansing of the conscience. They won't get rid of your guilt because, as verse 4 tells us, it is impossible for the blood of uh, bulls and goats to take away sins. We may love animals, but no sensible person would think that a sheep is worth as much as a human being. It's just not a fair swap. And therefore, the blood of bulls and goats and sheep can never take away the sins of humans. Now, all of this might begin to make it sound like the temple system and the sacrifices were all a bit rubbish, But that can't be right. God invented them, and God doesn't invent rubbish. The clue to that issue lies in the image of the shadow. So imagine that you're walking down a street on a bright, sunny day. The sun is ahead of you as you walk down this uh, busy city street. Uh, you're, You're walking in the sunlight. It's bright and it's warm. And then you step forward into shadow. Uh, the, the light dims a little bit, the temperature cools just ever so slightly. What do you do if you've been used to bright sunshine, you step into shadow? Well, you lift your eyes, you look ahead, knowing that something big and solid must be casting that shadow. That's the idea in verse 1. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Look, the law is a shadow on a sunny day. It makes you look ahead Lift your eyes to the solid thing that is casting the shadow. The law, you see, was designed to make people look ahead and set their eyes on the substance behind the sacrifices. And Hebrews has been telling us all the way through that substance is Jesus. He is the one that the law points to. He is the the solid reality that casts the shadow of the law. Now, have a look at verses 4 to 5. I want you to notice the flow of thought here. Verses 4 to 5. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There's a shadow. Consequently, because of that impossibility, when Christ came into the world, here's the substance coming. He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. It is the realization that the death of animals can never pay for our sins that points people to Jesus. The law reminds me of my sin and makes me know that animal blood can never be enough. Of course it can't. That means my guilty conscience remains because nothing is actually dealing with the problem of my sin. But it also makes me look up, look ahead, to the substance behind the shadow, the one to whom all these sacrifices are pointing, 
Christ Jesus himself. Now, of course, our circumstances today are different from the author to the Hebrews and those he was writing to. There are no animal sacrifices taking place in Jerusalem today. And most of us here uh, have already trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. But the basic dynamic that these verses show to us is still vital for the Christian life today. Because uh, as life goes through as a Christian, we are reminded of our sins. Sometimes we feel the sting of a guilty conscience. And when that happens, it is serving the same purpose as the law served for those in the Old Testament. It is pointing us to Christ afresh in our case. Friends, let's be clear on this. This is the correct response to what the Bible calls conviction of sin. Uh, If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know this sense, I'm sure. When your sin strikes you, your conscience nudges you, the Holy Spirit convicts you. Friends, don't respond with deep despair at what an awful person you are or at stricter self-control to get better next time. Don't look to to minimize your offense and make it sound like it wasn't that bad a deal anyway or to to maximize your good works as compensation. Now, that sense of conviction from the Spirit is designed to make you look afresh to Jesus. Go back to the gospel. Lean again on divine grace. Thank God for the cross of Christ, the only possible way of sin being actually dealt with, your sin and mine. Jesus is where the law is pointing. Here's the second thing that we're shown here. Jesus has dealt with our law-breaking. Jesus has dealt with our law-breaking. Verses 7 to 14. Now, as we move into the second section of our passage, uh, the author's beginning to use that phrase, the law, in its broader sense. Actually, in this section, he uses it both ways. It contains the transition, but it begins to mean all the things that God has commanded, not just the sacrifices. So in verse 17, just after the, the middle chunk, our sin is described as our lawless deeds. You see that there? Sin is lawlessness. In other words, uh, sin is living without reference to God as the rightful lawgiver and therefore ignoring his commands. It happens in that order. We live without reference to God as lawgiver and therefore we ignore and break his commands. Sin, of course, is described in various ways in the Bible. And it may be that this particular description, sin is lawlessness, is not one that you like very much. It's certainly not one that the world likes very much. Uh, The idea that, that God gives us laws that we must obey, and if we don't, we are guilty in his sight. No, the world says, don't follow that way of thinking. Instead, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. You do you. When I was a young man, and this will age me slightly, uh, a band called the Manic Street Preachers brought out an album called This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. Uh, this was sometime in the 90s, I guess, uh, when postmodernism was beginning to get a grip of popular culture. But that has become the mantra for our time. 
This is my truth, tell me yours. In other words, truth is relative. There is no actual truth. It's just what you think is true for you and what I think is true for me. That's all that matters. Just be true to yourself. But friends, as Christians, I'm sure you you come across this view in society. You have friends and colleagues and neighbors who, who hold to this idea. It needs to be challenged in a gentle and loving way. We can challenge it in a number of ways, but here's a simple one. Quite simply, uh, people who say that don't live that. People who say, just be true to yourself, don't live that way. People who, who think that all truth is relative, it's just what I think is right that matters, they don't live like that. You see, if God doesn't give us law, if God doesn't determine what is right and what is wrong, then right and wrong completely vanish. They disappear. If A is true for me and B is true for you, if X is right in my book and wrong in your book, then real truth and morality have vanished. But no one lives like that. We can't. It's not even possible. We all naturally know that some things are just plain wrong. We all have an innate sense of justice. If you don't believe me, uh, although I don't recommend you doing this in practice, you could go outside and stand on someone's toes. And they will fairly quickly tell you in their own words, you've wronged me. Don't do that, it's wrong. The reason that everyone responds in that kind of way is because, of course, there is such a thing as right and wrong. We know it deep down, all of us do. But that right and wrong can only come from outside of ourselves, from God himself, not from one of us. God himself as perfect lawgiver is the only explanation there is for absolute right and wrong. But of course, something else follows from that. As Hebrews makes clear, all of us are lawbreakers. And what this chapter in Hebrews is trying to help us see is that Jesus has dealt with our lawbreaking through his sacrificial death on the cross. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm trusting that is pretty familiar to you. Hebrews 10 is trying to do something a bit more than that. It's not simply reminding us of that wonderful fact. It's trying to help us see the fullness of this gospel truth. We've seen already, haven't we, that Jesus' death takes away our sins when we trust in him. That was what verses 4 and 5 were about. And the message comes again in verses 17 and 18. Jesus takes away our sins. But too often, as Christians, that's where we stop. We think that's all the cross does for us. And when we do that, we're accepting a a kind of semi-skimmed gospel. But remember verse 1 of Hebrews 10. The real problem with the law wasn't only that it couldn't take away sin, although it couldn't, as verse 4 says. No, in verse 1, more than that, the real problem with the law was it could not make perfect those who draw near. But what the law could not do, Jesus did do as he died in our place. Verse 10 puts it this way. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And verse 14 says, by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The law could not make perfect those who draw near. Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 helps us to understand the mechanics of how that works. How is it that when Jesus dies, our sin is not only taken away, but we are somehow made perfect? Here's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Jesus to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the cross is a great swap. Jesus takes our sin away from us and gives to us his righteousness, his perfect law-keeping, his right standing before the Father. My youngest daughter, Dottie, is nearly two. Uh, One parenting lesson I've learned, we're on child number three uh, now, is that children's clothes never stay clean for very long. So I can put Dottie in a nice clean dress, and I can pretty much guarantee that within 10 or 15 minutes, it will be dirty again. And and after a while, when you've done this with a number of children of your own, you begin to feel that, frankly, there's no point in changing their clothes, because in a moment, they'll be dirty again. Well, I'm a grown-up, but in terms of God's law, I'm just like my young daughter, Dottie. Sometimes we think, as Christians, that Jesus gives us a clean slate, a fresh start. He wipes our sins away and gives us a clean slate. And in one sense, that's true. But honestly, if that's all that's going on, there's no point. There's no point giving me a clean slate, because in 10 or 15 minutes, I'll make it dirty again. Have you felt like yourself, perhaps? The truth is, I need more than a clean slate. I need a clean status. A once and for all, permanently clean status before God. And brothers and sisters, that is what Jesus died to provide for you. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you belong to the Lord Jesus by faith, your status before God is permanently clean, permanently perfect. And that gospel truth changes how you live today. You see, if all we get is a clean slate, not a clean status, then every time we approach God, we'll do so like a naughty schoolboy sneaking into the headmaster's office, hoping to be led off one more time. We'll feel like our relationship with God is a kind of emotional roller coaster, up and down, up and down, depending upon how we've behaved at any given point. Well, friends, that is a semi-skimmed gospel. It's thin gruel. God wants more for you than that. He wants you to go full fat. God wants you to approach him with with confidence, as verse 19 of this chapter says. We'll we'll see that next week. God wants you to enjoy him, to, to to be quick to run to him. But you will only do that. You will only do that if you can see from Scripture that because of the cross, your relationship with God is stable, secure, solid, not a roller coaster, but a long and lasting hug. You don't have a clean slate only. You have a clean status in Jesus. You can enjoy God with confidence. That is the fullness of what it means to know that Jesus has dealt 
with our law breaking. If you like, that is the full fat gospel. Not just sins removed, but righteousness given permanently to you. But there's more in Hebrews 10. It hasn't finished yet. We're not quite yet at the gold-topped cream version of the gospel. You see, thirdly, Jesus empowers us for law living. Jesus empowers us for law living, verses 15 to 18. We might ask then, if, if the sacrifices, if the law as sacrifice has been uh, fulfilled, that was shadow, Jesus' substance, if the law as commands have been kept by Jesus, then what relation has God's commands got to do with us today? They're still there in the Bible. Are we done with them? Are they all past tense? Well, I wonder if you noticed something interesting about verses 10 and 14. I read those two verses for us a minute or two ago. I'll do so again now. Verse 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And verse 14. By a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We have been sanctified. We are being sanctified. To be sanctified is just a Bible way of saying uh, to be made holy or, or perfectly devoted to God. Perfectly devoted to God. So how, how can that already have happened and be in the middle of happening? How can we have been sanctified and be being sanctified? Uh, well, Brentwood Town Football Club, I, I learned this week, play in the Isthmian League Division I North. I don't quite understand how Brentwood can be north, but we'll ignore that for now. In layman's terms, it just means they're not very good. Now, imagine if tomorrow the head of the FA announced that Brentwood Town had been given Premier League status. Uh, their next match would be against Manchester United. Now, are they, in that situation, a Premier League team? Well, yes. In terms of their position, their status, they are. Uh, but very much no in terms of their ability on the football pitch. Now, to get their level of play up to the level of their position, what will they need? A whole lot of money, a big, rich chairman, some big investment in the club. Well, it works the same way for Christians. Jesus has given us perfect status, Premier League status, through his swap with us on the cross. But now he is the rich chairman who is committed to investing fully in us with his Holy Spirit to bring our lives to match our status. We have been sanctified status or declared holy. We are being sanctified, brought up to that level bit by bit every day by the Spirit of God. Verse 16 of our passage is a quote from Jeremiah 31, 33, which is the, the great promise of the new covenant relationship between God and his people, the, the relationship that Jesus came to establish and that you and I enjoy today if we're trusting in Christ. What is that covenant? Here's what verse 16 says. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Can you see what's happening here? The new covenant relationship with God, the gospel relationship with God, crucially involves 
the Lord internalizing his law within us, empowering us to want to obey his commands, to be able to say what Psalm 40 says, which was true perfectly of Jesus, and in a lesser sense can be true of us by grace. I delight to do your will, O God. It's a hard thing to say with integrity, isn't it? But that is the new covenant promise. That is the desire that the Lord Jesus is working and empowering within us. You see, God's law is not done away with for Christians. It's it's right at the heart of the new relationship we enjoy with God as father and Jesus as brother. Perhaps that surprises you, I, I don't know. But it shouldn't surprise us really, because all the way through scripture we've seen, God's law is the good life. God's law is, is, is what holiness and devotion to God look like. God's law is, is the way that all the jigsaw pieces of your life and mine fit together. God's law is, is the groove that we were made to, to, to find, the, the track we were designed to run on. This is where true pleasure and joy live in being able to live out God's law. And so if we had a gospel that said, forget about the law, you don't need that anymore, that would not be uh, the full-fat, gold-topped gospel. That would be semi-skimmed rubbish. We need to be empowered to live God's law out because that is the good life that he has intended for his children. You see, Jesus frees us from the penalty of our law-breaking And he empowers us for the pleasure of law living. Free from the penalty of law breaking, empowered for the pleasure of law living. Now friends, this is good news. This is the gold-topped gospel with all the cream on the top. Not just sins taken away, though that is glorious and true. Not even just a clean status that lasts forever. That is mind-blowing. But if that is all the gospel is, it would be like giving Brentwood Town Premier League status and then leaving them alone to get smashed 10-0 every week. No, the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is all in. It is sins taken away right now. It is a clean status with God forever. And the all-in investment of the Holy Spirit to actually make us perfect one day. You see, one day you will be perfect. Do you think about that day much? You should. That one day changes your today. This is where our deepest encouragement can be found as Christians. Because today you might feel weak or dirty with sin. But one day, You are going to shine like a star forever, the Bible says. Today, you might feel like you never make much progress in the Christian life. But one day, God says, you will be a testament to the power of his transforming grace. Today, I don't know, you might feel like a fraud in church or as you watch at home. But one day, because of what Jesus has done, your heart will know that you belong with your father, the king. Friends, this is the power of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he does for those who grab hold of him by faith.
So as Hebrews says over and over again, keep holding on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for when we shrink the gospel. Thank you that your word expands our view of your goodness to us again. Thank you that the Lord Jesus on the cross accomplished everything for us. Sins taken away, perfect status given forever, and the power of your spirit to change our lives, to fit us for the new creation. May we live like that is true with confidence and deep gratitude before you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.